Good morning. What is going on, Nashville, Middle Tennessee, wherever it is that you're hanging out, listening to us, be it Connecticut, Houston, wherever we're getting our callers from. You guys have been active today. Welcome into Titans game day, preseason, though it may be, here on 104.5 The Zone. Live coverage from Atlanta of this show for all three hours, even with the uh, 70s porn set backdrop that my hotel seems to have. Presented by our friends at Scoreboard Bar and Grill, the world's largest selection of bushwhackers. Football, music, what more could you ask for at Scoreboard Bar and Grill? They make this coverage possible, and we'll be making our Tampa coverage possible next week. So we're incredibly grateful to them and to you guys for interacting with us. 615-737-1045 is how you jump in on the conversation today. What are you looking for in tonight's preseason game? We've talked earlier about the quarterbacks and the running backs. Got into the secondary conversation a little bit with Blaine Bishop in hour one, but we want to hear from you. Don't forget that Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, who covered the Field of Dreams game last night and wrote an incredible article about the guy who hit the walk-off homer, Tim Anderson, for the Wall Street Journal. So much so that I signed up for a Wall Street Journal subscription. I did. I already pay for the Times. I'm not above paying for good journalism. The Wall Street Journal got me with Jared Diamond's great article yesterday on the hero of the field of dreams game 615-737-1045 coach mac coming up at 12 20 as well don't miss out let's start with matt in nashville who wants to weigh in on the titans and the falcons here in atlanta what's going on matt hey what's up man uh, real quick i hope you were listening to future song magic it's all about magic city while you ate your wings um but second of all I don't know if this has ever happened, but I went to Appalachian State, and I'm excited to see Darrington Evans and Kendall Lamb represent the Mountaineers. I don't know if we've ever had two players on the same team before, um, but that's what I'm kind of looking forward to, and go Titans. Hey, I appreciate the call. Yeah, no, I did. I Future can be heard no matter where you, you go in the city of Atlanta. Future just seems to kind of constantly hum in the background. It's kind of like Nashville with Alan Jackson. Like somewhere in Nashville, there is always an Alan Jackson song playing, it feels like. That's Future uh, down here in Atlanta. So there was, I'm sure at some point, the backdrop of, yeah, it was mostly Mac Jones throwing all over the Washington football team last night in the preseason. But there were, there were cer- certainly some vibes around uh i think my uber driver was playing future when he pulled up with my magic city wings but yes to to have two two small school players two guys from app state particularly with kendall lamb who's competing at right tackle and darrington evans it's got to be cool if you're an alumni of schools like that and you get to see him play on a semi-national stage and certainly the game will be carried tonight on 104.5 the zone pregame coverage starting at five right in the middle of three hl we will take you up until the start of it but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the offensive line conversation in fact uh before we get to Jaden and Laverne I want to play this clip of, of Greg Cosell because somebody we're not ta- we're not really talking about in the right tackle competition right now is Dylan Radens. Dylan Radens, who's slotted on the unofficial depth chart don't make too big of a deal out of it it's just unofficial but it says Dylan Radens is Nate Davis's backup at the right guard and so I asked Cosell actually Cosell asked me about where Raidens had been lining up during camp, and this was our conversation. Who is the first team right tackle right now? That is Ty Sambrello right now. Okay, 
So where is Raiden's playing tackle or, or are they moving him around? He is a backup right guard to Nate Davis, according to the unofficial depth chart that they handed us all at practice the other day. Because it's funny you say that, because when I watched his college tape, just for fun and games here, yeah. um, I actually thought, believe it or not, and it's interesting they moved him inside. I actually thought he could be a great center. Now, I, I don't fancy myself by any means, Buck, as an offensive line guru, so Take it for what it's worth. You know, a lot smarter people than I. I'll have a, a much better point of view on it than I. But I kind of thought of Mitch Morse, who came out of Missouri as a three-year starter at left tackle, went to the Chiefs. He's now with the Bills. But right away, the Chiefs made him an offensive center. And that's the position he's played in the NFL. And he's a good one. I, I kind of thought of Dylan Radens that way. So I find it interesting they moved him inside. Because obviously, he must be getting snaps in practice at guard, right? Oh yeah, no, he's 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 worked both at tackle and and okay. more more than anything inside right now. So it's interesting. Again, doesn't make me right or wrong. You know, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, Sambreo right now is the starting right tackle, huh? Yeah, I can I can see the hot take bubbling beneath the surface, Greg. You want there to come out and say Dylan Raiden's a center? It's 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 a take. It's a take. No matter how take. how hard you tried to. Fight. That one is more of an opinion than than anything. Because <laughs> and again, like I said, I'm not a guru with the offensive line, but just. That's what I thought watching his tape in North Dakota State. That's Greg Cosell of NFL Films talking on our podcast every Wednesday, every Wednesday, the install about Dylan Raiden. So right tackle, the competition seems to be right now primarily between Sambrello and Lamb uh, as they try and bring Raiden's along. He's been playing a lot of interior, but both at tackle and at guard throughout the course of training camp. We'll see what we uh, we'll see what they decide to do with him tonight when they trot him out there. Let's go to Jaden, who's been waiting patiently in Laverne and wants to weigh in on this Titans preseason game. What's going on, Jaden? Hey, man. How you doing? Man, we're living great. Uh, well, the, what I'm the most excited to see for this game is definitely the DB group because there's a lot of young guys there. And I saw Chris Jackson get burned a lot last year. I've heard some great things about Brown Borders, all of that. I'm just excited to hear what you have to say about it. Well, we can do that for you. Appreciate the call, Jaden. 615-737-1045. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the, the secondary in the third hour before we get to it with Coach Mack at 1220. But specifically, Chris Jackson looks like he could be a starting corner in nickel situations. Chris Jackson is making that push right now. Now, it's entirely possible that uh, guys like uh, – guys like, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, Elijah Molden. Elijah Molden makes a push. Uh, Christian Fulton finds himself as a starting corner in a nickel situation if Caleb Farley is starting on the outside. There's legitimate competition in there. Now, Chris Jackson, listen, as a, as a seventh-round pick, Adam Marshall, and tossed into the, a starting role right away. Remember, he played more defensive snaps than any Titans rookie last year. So, yes, I'm sure you, and uh, we all did, we all saw Chris Jackson get made to look um, inept is not the right word, but he, he looked overwhelmed out there. And it's completely understandable why that was the case. Now, there needs to be growth, certainly. And he's had a decent camp so far. He's versatile. He plays both uh, corner and can play at safety. But this secondary is going to be a fascination and one that I know Titans fans are going to be hyper-focused on because you have a lot of, you have a lot of interesting pieces. It's kind of like the wide receiver group for this team right now. You got a lot of interesting pieces. It's just at this point, both you and as a Titans fan and the coaching staff, they're trying to figure out where all these pieces 
fit best. 615-737-1045. Coming up next, though, we're going to get into this Field of Dreams game because what took place last night on Fox, I was very confused by. I had no idea it was happening until I turned on the television after preseason football was over. I saw people tweeting about it. I'm like, what the hell are they doing in Iowa? We'll talk about it with Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, who wrote a great piece on the hero of last night's game, Tim Anderson, and, uh, and how it wasn't about a Field of Dreams moment for him. It was about how he made his own moment in the middle of baseball, you know, baseball, what do you want to call it? Just baseball, one of the finest performances, one of the finest featured moments that I think baseball has had in a long, long time. We'll get into it with Jared Diamond coming up next and continue the Titans conversation. I'm Buck Rising. This is 104.5 The Zone, live from Atlanta, presented by Scoreboard Bar and Grill. Welcome back. Live from Atlanta ahead of Titans-Falcons preseason game number one on 104.5 The Zone. We'll get back to that conversation here in just a minute, but I want to talk about one of the coolest sporting events that I've seen in quite some time with Jared Diamond, who covers sports for the Wall Street Journal. At Jared Diamond is where you can follow him on the socials. Uh, Jared, I, I, I had we, we don't necessarily follow MLB day-to-day down here in Nashville and, unless the Braves are doing something to make people suffer. So I had no idea that this, uh, this Field of Dreams game was on. And frankly, I, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I had no idea what Field of Dreams was until I turned on the broadcast and was kind of learning about it through social media. How did somebody like yourself consume this event that really seemed to hit a bunch of great notes with people who love baseball? Yeah, it was a huge success, and in a way, I'm a little surprised. I, maybe I shouldn't have been, but when this was announced a couple of years ago, this event was supposed to have happened last year and was postponed because of the pandemic. I think there was certainly people that thought it was a gimmick, that didn't think much of it, what is this really going to be? And I give MLB a lot of credit because the show last night was Really a big success in every way. My understanding is the TV ratings were uh, extraordinary for a regular season baseball game. It didn't feel like a gimmick. It hit the right notes. The game was turned out to be incredible with a phenomenal right. ending with Tim Anderson hitting that home run. Yeah, it really worked. It worked out great, and it just sort of showed that people do still have uh, some nostalgic feelings for baseball. Sometimes it comes back up to the surface. So I, I think that's such a fascinating conversation about the sport and about MLB in particular because it's, it's such a fine line between nostalgia and their constant attempts and, and necessary attempts to try and attract young people to the game as, as somebody who's kind of just gravitated away from baseball throughout the course of, of my lifetime and, and many of my many people of, in the same age demographic seems like feeling the same. I thought that the play that they're trying, that they're looking to work out the, uh, the conversations between MLB and Barstool about Barstool being able to carry a game, whatever you think of Barstool. I understand people have their reservations, rightfully so. But how they're kind of trying to balance between that nostalgia and trying to attract this demographic that so desperately eludes them. This is the line that baseball has been trying to thread for years. And it is really tricky because on the one hand uh, there is no sport that has the history of baseball there's no sport that is rooted in its history the way baseball is and so many of its core fans 
are people that love the game because of its history, because of its right. tradition, because of its ability to, to link generation after generation. And, and yet, uh, we know that baseball has a demographic problem. The audience is, is old and it's getting older. It is increasingly white uh, and not attracting young people of color the way that the NBA and the NFL is. And if baseball is going to survive and remain relevant in the future, it needs to get younger. It needs to get more diverse in terms of who's watching and who cares about it. So baseball's continuing to try to figure out how do we attract new people without alienating the people we already have? And it doesn't always succeed. We're sort of seeing this now with the rumors of this potential Barstool partnership, where on the one hand, uh, there are a lot of young people that love Barstool and for whom this would be a great way to get back into baseball. But on the other hand, there's tons and tons of people out there as well that feel very strongly against Barstool. And how does yeah. baseball navigate that? That's just one example. But this exact story is playing out seemingly all the time, uh, trying to balance the tradition with the new. And it's not easy. Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal is here with us on 104.5 The Zone. Jared, the, the article on Tim Anderson, speaking of, of demographics, and ironically, uh, a young black person was the hero of the game uh, last night, given that the demographics, as you've just described, are older and wider. But the, the article on Tim Anderson was so good that I signed up for a subscription to the Wall Street Journal myself. Everybody out there should do it. They're doing great journalism uh, there at the Wall Street Journal, and that's the best way to support it is by making sure that they are supported in the work that they're doing. So you wrote this article about Tim Anderson and his significance in this game between a young, up-and-coming, diverse White Sox team, ironically enough, headed by one of the oldest heads in baseball, in the sport right now with Tony La Russa. And we'll get to that storyline a little later in this conversation. But, but in, in going into this story, looking to write it pregame and then understanding how it ended, why was Tim Anderson, the, the approach and his story, the one that you wanted to focus on? Yeah, that worked out for, worked out for me pretty nicely. That Anderson Hell yes. Hit it, hitting that home run, that was, that was very fortunate. Uh, like I find Tim Anderson to be a fascinating figure because he represents exactly what we were just talking about. He is the new. This is a guy who has no connection the history of baseball. He did not inherit a love of the game from his father and his grandfather like so many people have. This is a kid who didn't really start playing baseball until he was 16 or 17 years old. He was a junior in high school uh, who hadn't really played baseball before that. He was, loved basketball. He loved football. He didn't care about baseball. And yet he has developed into a star, and not just a star, a guy who cares a lot about trying to grow the sport, trying to show that, hey, baseball isn't just, uh, it isn't just for white people. It isn't just for old people. It can be cool. It can be fun. It can be exciting for the younger generation. And he has taken it upon himself to show that to people. And he is the perfect ambassador for that role because he is young, because he is black, because his experience with baseball is not uh, sort of what we think about in terms of who is playing baseball. So for him to go on the big stage like that, that alone was worth the story to me, this guy getting a chance to go on this big stage, uh, a field of dreams, a movie that he also has never seen and says he has no interest in watching. Uh, and the fact that he then goes out and hits the walk-off home run just made it even better. But Tim Anderson is, is 
the kind of guy that's part of the future of baseball. And I think it's amazing that people got to see him last night. The White Sox are going to almost definitely be in the postseason this year as well. Uh, and I hope that people sort of watch this guy and realize, hey, this is what the game could be. You know, it's so, it's so interesting that he's that he's decided to take on this role because that's, I mean, he and players like him, whether you're uh, whether you're talking about any of the the young and exciting players that are kind of coming onto the stage and understand that they need to be marketed in a way that Mike Trout maybe necessarily hasn't taken advantage of because of how he believes he needs to go about his job, and that's fine. You can have both approaches, but the sport suffers if you don't have these faces that you can attach yourself to when so many, so many of us, I feel like are fans of players as opposed to teams, because those are the people that we follow on social media and such. But like, I remember going back to uh, going back a couple of years, I think it was like 2019. He did an Tim Anderson did an interview uh, with Dan Lebitard and he called baseball a boring sport. And it caused these, these kind of waves around it, given that one of the most exciting up and coming players thought the sport that he played was boring. I guess, where, where did that kind of transformation in him to, you know, to having something like that out there publicly that can diminish the sport that he plays and turning it around and trying to be an ambassador for young people in the game? Yeah, it shows that, A, he, he knows the issues and, B, cares about the issues and, C, wants to change them. And the good thing for baseball is that he's not alone anymore. When Tim Anderson came out and said baseball is boring, that was so shocking to hear a player say that. But now... More and more, we seem to have players that understand that, hey, the game should be more exciting, could be more exciting. And the reality is there's never been, uh, at least in recent memory, a time where there's this much young talent, young, exciting talent in the game. You look at guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. uh, and Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. There are incredibly, incredible baseball players young players that are changing the game that are all out there right now. And it's, it's incredible for baseball. And what's great is those guys do seem to want to make baseball better. And you mentioned Mike Trout. And Mike Trout, for so long, has been the best player on the planet. But he has never taken an interest in marketing himself individually, uh, which is his prerogative. He, sure. He's allowed you go about it that way he's the kind of guy that wants to show up at the ballpark put the numbers go home and hopefully one day win uh something the angels have not been able to do with him but they have not been able to sort of put him out there as this is the guy that's going to make baseball cool you know why because mike trout isn't cool he's an incredible baseball player but he's kind of a boring guy yeah it's fine but it's great that guys like anderson and tatis and guerrero and acuna are both great and cool uh, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal here with us on 104.5 The Zone. So as somebody who, who gets paid to tell stories and enjoys telling stories, uh, what, what am I to make of the story of Tony La Russa and this White Sox team and how, they, how, how far they have come given how unlikely a marriage you would have thought that would have been? I don't know what your opinion was it when, uh, on it was when the hire was made, but I was fascinated by the decision by the White Sox to go with somebody who really just seemed to run up against what the team itself, the players on that team, represent. Yeah, it was very shocking that he ended up being the hire. And I think the reason it got so much negative attention, well, there's a few reasons. But, but one, uh, one is that it didn't feel like it came from the front office, the perception. And 
really it's true is that this was a decision made by the owner, almost in some ways going over the heads of the front office or putting his foot down saying, this is the guy I wanted to hire, which again, he's the owner. This is, it is, it is his right. But sure. he was the exact opposite of what it seemed like they needed. This is a young up and coming team with a lot of young Latin players and, and Sam Anderson being a young black player. And suddenly you're bringing in this 76 year old dude who, hasn't managed in, you know, a million years, in 10 years. Why? How? Is he really the, the best candidate for the job? And look, so far, it's worked. The team's been great. They're, they're in first place. They, they probably would have been with a different manager as well. But it seems like the players respect Tony La Russa, And Tony La Russa has, uh, seems like at least, has sort of taken it upon himself to try to relate to these players and get to know these players. Look, he would not have been my choice if I were running the White Sox. I think in some ways it was a strange choice. It still feels a little strange. But I'm not going to argue with results. And if they end up winning a World Series or going deep in the playoffs, I'm not going to argue. He is Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. He's been kind enough to give us some of his time today. He's doing great reporting on the sport. Well worth your time. Sign up for a Wall Street journal subscription and i promise you you will not be disappointed jared i appreciate you doing this short notice uh and keep up the excellent work we'll be reading yeah you got it thanks so much jared diamond there with us on 104.5 the zone man so you lucas you didn't watch the game because you you guys had the the high school the high school uh media day going on there at party foul which looked like a great time by the way you guys you guys absolutely killed it i'm sure uh i was sorry i didn't get to hear more of it because i was driving down yesterday to get to Atlanta, but you, you didn't have the opportunity to watch this thing. No, it was on in party foul, the TVs. It was a great event. You're right. Five coaches, six players, four future sec football players it was a great time, but that was the only downside. Didn't get to watch the game. Cause I actually really was looking forward to it. I wanted to check it out and it sounded like it lived up to absolutely everything. We talk, we make so much fun of the MLB and how they just botch everything they do. Sounds like they actually kind of got this one, right? I did go back and watch some highlights. It was cool. Yeah, uh, people like Lebowski saying uh, in the chat on YouTube where you can interact with us on Zone TV, coming from someone that is bored of MLB, I thought last night was wonderful. The simple setting, toned-down graphics package, and smaller crowd made it feel nostalgic in a good way. Now, we just had Jared Diamond on, and I was looking for a, a, a terrible pun that I could make about his last name being Diamond and him being a baseball writer, but he seems he seems like uh, that he, he's an excellent reporter but he seems a bit too serious for me to be making diamond puns at his expense. So I avoided that. Um, but it, it was funny because they, they held this game in, in Dyersville, Iowa, right? Because when I turned this thing on, I was watching it. It's like, why the hell are they playing baseball with a cornfield, cornfield backdrop? I have never seen, uh, I have never seen Field of Dreams. I'm completely ignorant of the, the theme of the game last night. So I just flipped it on Fox because I saw people tweeting about it. I'm like, what am I, what am I watching here? What, why is this? the what, what is it I'm looking at on the television screen? And then I sat and watched it, and it was, uh, it was what, a seven to eight, I think, at the time uh, that Tim Anderson hit the walk-off home run to take the lead and end the game at the bottom of the ninth. So the drama was there. The baseball was excellent. And the setting was, you know, it felt like old, old school Americana. And even in, in making it something that felt and was intended to feel dated, you know, I had this kind of, it had this kind of gravitational pull to it. 
that I wasn't expecting. So how much, how much do you, th- have you seen field of dreams? I had never seen it until college. Cause I'm like what Jared diamond's talking about. Baseball is generational, right? You're linked to it yeah. by your father and your grandfather. That was never the case for me. My father's not from America. He doesn't know what the hell baseball is. He doesn't same. care for it. Uh, yeah. And same with you. So I got to college. One of my best friends who is baseball diehard. Everything is baseball going back generations. Well, he was appalled when he found out I had never seen it. So he made me watch it. Uh, and if you watch the movie, you'll, you'll get what happened last night. I think a lot more And it. It's a good movie. Like I appreciate the nostalgia and the romanticism of it. So we put it on a poll. Does cornfields make baseball more romantic <laughs> at Buck Rising is where you can vote vote on it, because I, I will admit the romance was lost on me a bit until, you know, the baseball was exceptional. And I love Tim Anderson. I want more bat flips. I want more clapping after you hit. I think he hit his 13th home run of the year in that game last night to uh, to end it against the Yankees. And I mean, who doesn't like to see the Yankees lose? 615-737-1045 is how you jump in on the conversation. Did what was your what was your thoughts on the Field of Dreams game last night? How much of the audience do you think I've offended by saying that I haven't watched Field of Dreams? Uh, a good portion, just considering how many people, how many of my friends I offended when they found out I had never seen it. But I just, you know, I mean, this is but this is like my thing, you know, I go back and forth on this, like a movie from nineteen eighty nine. How, when am I going to come across that on HBO Max? Like, is that is Field of Dreams just going to happen to pop up, or am I going to be buried in yet another series? Because that's the kind of stuff that I'm watching. It's I just mean, you've seen The Sandlot, right? No. Oh, you never seen The Sandlot? No. Have you ever like Have you ever seen a baseball movie? Can you name one that you've seen? Uh, what was the one that was? Uh, I had it. I had it on B- VHS. Uh, Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. I've seen Angels in yeah. the Outfield, yeah, which Joseph is a classic. Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolute classic. So, you know, I, I understand that they like if it's in the same mold, the Sandlot and Field of Dreams as Angels in the Outfield, then I would probably love it because I loved Angels in the Outfield. But like, you know, I mean, a lot of these I don't I don't seek out these older sports movies because like Hoosiers is an institution in the state that I'm that I was born in, in Indiana. And I think Hoosiers stinks like I just, <laughs> and it doesn't add up, by the way, like the whole the whole. The whole premise of the movie doesn't make sense to me. Um, it just it's not for me. You have never seen the Sandlot, says Cousin Tower. Now I'm getting attacked in the comments on uh, on YouTube and on Zone TV. Will Bowling is entirely too close to my screen. If you're watching on Zone TV, so you may remove yourself from the camera. Nobody. He's, very, asked you he's also be. very unhappy with you for not having seen the Sandlot. Well, that's fine, but the way the way to get me to come to your side is not to stick your face closer to me. That's not how this works. <laughs> Six one five seven three seven one zero four five. He can yell at me during the commercial. But it's, it's like both sides of the spectrum because Will Bowling is another baseball fanatic. It was passed down to him. It's generational. And then you and yeah. I, it's literally the complete opposite. Like we grew up not couldn't care less about baseball growing up because nobody passed it down to us. I, nobody I told me I should care. Of it, but yeah, well, you don't have my to. mom needed <laughs> my mom needed some way to shut me up in the early 90s. And she said, hey, this one about the baseball team and the Angels. This seems like a good idea. Why don't you go spend an hour and a half watching that? That would that's about as much connection as I have to the sport of baseball. 615-737-1045. We'll come back. We'll continue the conversation about preseason football because we're live down here in Atlanta, courtesy of the fine folks at Scoreboard Bar and Grill. You can follow them on Instagram, by the way, for all of the great stuff that they have going on there. Make sure to check out their great offerings and the world's largest selection of bushwhackers. They're making our coverage possible down here. We'll come up and continue the conversation next on 104.5 The Zone.
People have called in. People have tweeted us. People have jumped in the Zone TV chat just to roast me for the movies that I haven't seen. How do how do we how do we get to this place where baseball movies or a lack of institutional knowledge about baseball movies is the thing that fires you guys the most up when there's a Titans game to be played later today? I know, I know it's preseason, but like during that last segment, Lucas, I checked my mentions during the commercial break. And people, I, I'm literally getting tweets that say you're dead to me because <laughs> I haven't seen Field of Dreams or uh, or the uh, or the Sandlot. Uh, I have seen The Natural. I feel like I I feel like I had to watch The Natural in a in a class in college. Um, you never saw Major League. I never saw Major League. Major League is a good one. I think Major League might be my favorite as a non baseball person. I think that's my favorite baseball movie. Okay, I just like what what do I care about all these movies? Because people are asking me, how are you even a sports broadcaster?